Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Front Office U podcast. My name is Ryan Carney. I will be hosting today's episode of Front Office U Friday. We have a very, very special guest on the show today. He works in the United States Hockey League, the USHL, as the Vice President of Hockey Operations, Ian Gentile. Ian, very excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, and uh, how's your day going so far? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I'm happy to be here. My day's going well. Uh, a big believer in everything you're doing here. So happy to be here. Yeah, really appreciate you uh, saying that, Ian. So let's just kind of dive right into it. Let's talk about some of your background uh, in sports. So, you know, growing up for you, you know, who were some of those influential people in your family that, uh, you know, were interested in sports or uh, may have kind of geared you to some sports? What were some of the sports you played uh, and had some experience in there? What was kind of your first impression, you know, when you were growing up, uh, you know, getting involved and in, in the impact that sports had on you? Yeah, so it's probably a story not unlike most young sports fans i had uh had a father who was a sports fan i'm a fourth generation chicagoan so chicago sports obviously a big deal here big sports town um played everything growing up hockey yes um as as a youngster but baseball football track uh and then i got very into uh powerlifting in, in high school and college years so um it was a bit of everything. You know, it's easy when you grow up in one of these uh, major cities where you're a Bears fan. That's it. You're a Blackhawks fan. Um, you have to pick a baseball team, right? And I'm a White Sox fan. But uh, I also grew up with the Michael Jordan Bulls, right? The the complete heyday of the 90s, Michael Jordan Bulls. So you you got home from school and you watched Michael at night. That's it. That's what you did. And uh, so very fortunate that way. Grew up in a, in a great sports town and uh, played everything, loved everything. And was always into sports. Yeah. That's uh that's really awesome for you to mention that. You know, me myself also grew up in the Chicago suburbs in Buffalo Grove. So, you know, a little bit after your time growing up, Ian, but it was kind of like the Chicago Blackhawks while you were there. I know we'll kind of get into some of your yeah. experience with the Hawks. That was kind of me. That was kind of my version of the Jordan Bulls uh and having a Chicago sports dynasty. You know, not not as much success on the baseball diamond uh for for either team in Chicago. Um, but that is definitely all right. So uh, you know, let's kind of transition uh from there, Ian. You mentioned some of those sports that you were involved in in high school, but but then as you kind of moved into college, you went to school at the University of Illinois uh, in Champaign. Um, talk about what that decision process was like for you. What stood out about the Illini as, uh, you know, making that decision in terms of where you wanted to go for undergrad? Yeah, uh, I went to Catholic school for K through 12 um, and enjoyed it a great deal. But it was it was time for big public state school. I was ready for that experience. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I, I had the small private school experience um, and it was time for something bigger. And uh, the University of Illinois happens to be a really strong state school, as it were. They call it one of the public ivies. And um, so to be an Illinois resident, to have Illinois here, um, fell in love with the campus, state tuition, you, you put it all together. It was, it was the right place for me. So it was always going to be a big state school. It was always going to be a big 10 school. Purdue was the other one that, um, I, I guess you would have say would, would have been my second choice, but, um, it was Illinois. Loved it. Loved everything about it. Um, my freshman year was the D Brown, unbelievable final four national championship runner-up team and my senior year was the Rose Bowl team so you could say I was arguably there for the greatest four-year stretch in Illini sports history as well we lost both of those games 
but um i was also there for a really fun four four year sport run too yeah, that's awesome to hear about some of those for you. Yeah, it's a little bit similar fate for me at the University of Iowa. Never quite got a uh, national championship or, or anything like that, but good to hear that BLN had uh, had a little bit of success there uh, when you were uh, in there at school. And kind of diving into that, you know, four-year run, you mentioned some of the success of the, um, you know, Illini teams on men's basketball and football, but what were some of those experiences for you getting involved in sports uh, while you were in college? What were some of those big experiences you had that kind of set you up for success um, after you graduated uh, from Champaign? Yeah, so it's uh, it's an easy one. Um, I was an intern with the Chicago Blackhawks in hockey operations the summer of my junior year at Illinois. So this is when the Blackhawks were the laughing stock of, of not only of hockey, but of the sporting world, okay? So home games weren't televised. Um, the stadium was empty. So a far cry from the Blackhawks that your generation has come to know and, and right. what people know now. It was they were quite literally the laughing stock of sports. Nonetheless, uh, as a Chicagoan and a lifelong Blackhawk fan, and I was thrilled to get that internship. So a hockey operations internship, summer of my junior year. It was an unpaid internship. It was 40 hours a week, and you got a jersey at the end of the summer. Okay. But that's the kind of thing you do. Uh, when you want to be in sports, as you know, and I was happy to do it. So it was a 40 hour week internship uh, working closely with Stan Bowman, who was only the director of hockey operations at that time, not even an assistant GM. Dale Talon uh, was the general manager and and Bob Pulford, Mr. Pulford was overseeing hockey operations. So uh, an older regime um, that was, you know, preceded our championship run, um, guys that were all very good to me. I learned a lot in that summer. It was filing of contracts, immigration, it, you know, so I got an appreciation for, for the, the back end of the industry, seeing what happens in the hockey operations office with contracts and immigrations and scouts and phone calls and off season meetings, not to mention like opening mail and framing photos and dropping pack, like all the good intern stuff that you need to do too. So that was the summer of my junior year. And then not to jump ahead, Ryan, but the story for me goes, I went back to school for my senior year. The plan, the plan was law school and the plan was always law school. And um, I hope to one day work in sport with law as sort of my entree. That was going to be what I thought was going to be my, you know, distinguisher. So um, I graduate from Illinois. I take the LSAT and I wanted to take a year off uh, before law school. Um, I reached back out to the Blackhawks and I said, hey, guys, uh, I graduated. I'm going to go to law school. I told them that up front. But, you know, I saw what happened in the offseason. I'd love to come back in the, you know, during the season um, before I go to school. They said, yeah, Ian, uh, there's actually there's been a lot of exciting changes. Uh, we'd love to have you. Why don't you come on down? So here I am. I'm an intern for the second time. OK, as a college graduate, it was paid that time, uh, barely. Um, but we just drafted Patrick Kane. You got a sense that this thing was about to be a rocket ship. So I'm a college graduate. I'm an intern again. And on the same day I wrote my check to law school, I was offered a full-time position. So that's, that's how that went. That's my story. 
Yeah, I, that's so amazing to hear, like you said, your willingness to be able to take on any task that they were kind of, you know, willing to throw at you, um, you know, glamorous or not, you know, like you, you said on kind of the, the immigration and say some of the contract side, you know, maybe more kind of long term skills that you can use, uh, you know, in hockey operations. But uh, I, I know my job even now in hockey operations at the Division One college level, there's still a lot of the framing photos and, uh, you know, sending out jerseys and things along that nature, too. So uh, it's a really kind of all encompassing role which is something that you know I've really grown to enjoy uh, about the hockey operations space uh, myself and I feel like there's so many different you know things that kind of come into hockey operations and you mentioned a lot of them there but how would you kind of you know divide up uh, your time in terms of roughly speaking you know what are the different components that you know make up what it means to work in hockey operations yeah it's a great question I guess it changes depending on the level of hockey you're at so it means something different in D1 hockey where you're at versus right. in the NHL level versus the American League versus a team side versus a league side all right so you're all with under hockey operations that umbrella but you're you're doing something quite different in each case so so first with the Blackhawks my first position was scouting coordinator okay um and people laugh. They say, well, when they offer you that job, like how quick did you tear up the check to law school? <laughs> it's like, well, no, actually it was a gut wrenching decision, right? Because you work your whole life for something. Uh, and I got into the law school I wanted to go to. And um, here I thought that was going to be my my calling card or my trade. And now I have this opportunity I never thought was going to happen where I start in the NHL in my hometown. Um, so it was actually a really tough decision. And ultimately, I figured, you know what, law school will always be there to take my money. Um, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity to start in the NHL in my hometown. It feels like something special is about to happen here. Um, obviously, 13 years with the Blackhawks and ended up being a great decision, right? So the first job was scouting coordinator. And that was perfect because I was exposed to all facets of hockey operations. So amateur scouting, pro scouting, player development. I'm in the office every day, so I'm seeing the collective bargaining agreement, seeing contracts. You literally couldn't have asked for a much better entry-level position. Um, I, I led in preparation for all of our scouting meetings on both the pro and the amateur side. I was personally responsible for reading every scouting report filed, uh, pro, amateur, Europe, which totals obviously in the thousands, right? Um, so you learn a lot. Um, and that was, that was ideal for me from there it turned, you know, fortune to, to grow and have promotions and these sorts of things, but it, it turned into hockey administration that changed a little bit. Now you're handling, handling a little bit more of the administrative duties, the, whether, whether it's getting things from the pro side over to the amateur side, helping identify free agents, helping talk to your directors, then it turned into player development. Um, so seven of those years were spent in player development. Um, we were the first team to embrace sort of a multidisciplinary, multi-person player development department. And because of my work uh, in scouting and, and getting those departments kind of up and running with our directors, they asked, Ian, would you would you be interested in taking on this player development, um, which was obviously a great opportunity. So seven of those years were spent leading this player development group, um, along again with our director of player development. I went through several of those. Um, so you see a lot, right, on the team side. So it's scouting, yes. It's collective bargaining matters. It's all the back-end immigration, boring stuff, right? You see a lot of that team services stuff. Not that I worked in team services, but you see it. 
Um, and then player development. So really touched on it all at the NHL level was very fortunate to do that. Okay. Now you look at what I do on the league side with the USHL hockey operations means something a little different now. So now I'm, I'm coordinating, you know, everything on our hockey side. So yes, all of our transactions um, and rostering and, and the nitty gritty rules and regulations of our, of our, of our league that's under my remit, but I'm also competition committee working with our GMs, handling all of our GM meetings. I'm the liaison with the NHL. I'm the liaison with all of our league licensees and vendors. Um, our tier one rules uh, and tier one standards that we hold all of our clubs to literally going out and making site visits and making sure that each building is operating to certain standards. So yeah, you used kind of a loaded term hockey operations. It means a lot, I think, depending on what level you're at. Right. And if I asked Ryan, Ryan, what does hockey ops mean to you? It probably means something a little different, right? It means, it means bus schedules. And so, so that's where I think it means a little something different, but the distinction I make to people that ask about the industry and to my students at West Virginia, the distinction I make is there's sort of two arms of sport. There's the business arm, right? Which is marketing, ticket sales, digital, PR. That's what, you know, you would consider sort of the business side of the industry. And then there's the operation side of the industry, which is the matters related to the play on the ice or the play on the field or the athletes. So those are kind of the two arms of the industry. I've spent my whole life in, in the operations side of the industry, but what I'm finding now in this role uh, with the USHL is I'm also getting to dabble a lot on the business side, which has been cool. So, so getting that chance to work on both sides. So yeah, it's a long winded answer, but I hope it helps because it, you hit on something pretty important. Yeah, and I'm glad it was a long-winded answer from you, Ian, because that's exactly what is kind of the information we're, we're seeking. I feel like, uh, you know, like you said, it's important to have that distinction between the operations side and the business side. Um, and, you know, I think there it is there is a little bit different. Not always do you see the operations jobs, you know, get posted on every job site that you would see on the business side. So um, I think that that is an important, uh, you know, p- point for our listeners to hear. And uh, you brought up the point that, yeah, even my job in hockey operations, they're, they're still even communicating with your equipment manager, your athletic trainer to make sure that they have everything they need or they know what the schedule is. So uh, there's some even some staff management that gets involved and and thrown in there too. So um, one part of that that I want to dive into a little bit deeper, Ian, you mentioned that one of your many responsibilities in there in hockey operations was when you were able to work with the scouting and, you know, reading the scouting reports and working with the different scouts, like what were some of the key takeaways that you had from that experience? What were some of the key things that you were able to learn from reading all those scouting reports and seeing all these different viewpoints? and um you know seeing how different scouts write up different things and how different players develop like what were some of those kind of key takeaways you had um you know out of yeah. that experience working in scouting so here i am and i'm a 21 year old kid or young man or young professional yeah. however you want to put it but you literally couldn't put a value on reading thousands of of scouting reports and game reports and the reason is i got an up close and personal the best case best most inside view of how hockey professionals and scouts analyze players what is it that they're actually looking for what's the verbiage and the terminology that they use what's the inside jargon uh, the informal jargon the formal jargon how do we look at players how do we dissect players how do we analyze players how do we rank players 
Like you could not have asked for a better way to understand that amateur pro. Then you see the distinctions between the two. Okay. Then you see, well, you're doing this long enough. Let's track what makes a good amateur eventually into a good pro. So I, you know, again, I, I had this, this first row seat to, to, to read all those reports. And I think the, the biggest takeaway was sitting in the scouting rooms, reading all of those scouting reports, talking to our directors and our scouts every day. It's just understanding what scouts look for. W what is it that they do? What is it that they value? How do they project? How do they evaluate? Here's the good news. Um, it's not magic. Like this is not rocket science. This is not quantum physics that we're doing here. You know, people outside the industry, maybe they get intimidated and they go, well, I think I know hockey, but I, I must never know it. Like they know it in the NHL, right? Well, here's the good news. This is not quantum physics. Like we, there, there's nothing hidden. The game is still the game. These are all men and women, obviously, who have proven to be elite evaluators and deserving to be at the NHL level. They know the sport inside and out. They know how to evaluate talent some better than others. Yeah. Um, but it's the same, it's the same game, right? So, um, those same skills that make you a good hockey scout, hockey evaluator at lower levels, that's, that's scalable, right? It's, it's understanding the levels of play. It's, it's, it's understanding the game. Um, but the value was really in reading those reports and seeing how pros talk about hockey players evaluate hockey players that was that was pretty special and it actually bootstrapped like my entire career right like I didn't play the game professionally a lot of these former scouts and coaches they're, they're former players so they come in with a certain level of respect or I don't know what you would call that professional competence right that well these guys played it at the highest level so to not have that this was the next best thing to approximate that like elite experience and learning right so it was uh yeah thinking back now it was a really valuable thing yeah it's great to just be able to kind of absorb all that information like you said when you were still kind of younger in your career looking to kind of you know get those different perspectives and and finding out what those scouts are really looking for uh you mentioned that as, as really valuable experience so i'm glad you did that ian and then another piece of that you mentioned the player development side you know obviously an area that you worked in for many years as you referenced um why do you think that you were kind of ahead of the pack or uh ahead of some other teams and embracing kind of the player development uh when you were you know with the blackhawks what do you think some of those driving factors were in terms of why yeah, you were able to be yeah. so successful there yeah it's a great question so we were a big budget club we were winning cups we were having success and credit stan bowman um he said well where do we gain the next the next edge where's the next competitive edge in the sport right and we identified player development pretty quickly um you had one guy he was your player development guy who was in charge of as many as 30 or 40 players around the planet, um, how much developing is happening, right? And the answer is none. Uh, like like th this, this, he was an evaluator, essentially. He would go watch Ryan at Colgate. He would go watch Ian in Chicago. He would go watch whoever in Sweden and report back on where they are and how they're developing. But then he wouldn't see them again for another month or two months or let alone being able to, teach them and instruct them and develop like there had to be a better mousetrap 
Um, and there was. So we were the first team. And again, I think it's because we were winning. I think it's because we were a big budget club to identify, well, we're very proud of the work we do once you're in our building. Okay. But how do we get you better before you're in our building? How do we take advantage of that? Four, you know, it could be up to four year runway before you're in our building. So we identified strength and conditioning, nutrition, mental performance, and then, yes, your on-ice skills and your actual play. And those are sort of our four pillars that that we built out. So whether you're at Notre Dame or Colgate or Waterloo or Sheleftia in Sweden, we're going to be able to holistically develop you before you're even in our building. Um, and I sort of got to sit atop of that structure with the director and allocate those resources amalgamate all that information, put comprehensive player development reports and plans together so that it's just, it was another edge. Could we get players better before they're even in our building? Um, so that was really fun to be a part of. And again, I think if you were to look at the varying degrees of uh, budget and, and, and staffing, but yeah, I, we pretty much were the first to really jump out there with, the size and the commitment that we that we did. Yeah, I, I love hearing that. And even, you know, from my perspective, I feel like I can look at so many of the young players that came up during that time for the Hawks that have had such long, impactful careers, not even just with the Hawks, but around the league, like Brandon Saad, Ryan Hartman, Tavo Teravainen. Uh, I feel like Gustav Forsling, you know, Trevor Van Riemsdyk. Like, I, I feel like there's so many of these guys that have had long, impactful careers that, um, you know, even if it not, wasn't necessarily their whole career with the Hawks, that kind of foundation was set, um, you know, through their time developing, you know, with the Hawks organization. Uh, is there anyone that kind of comes to mind for you in terms of a player that you know you felt very strongly about kind of about their development path that kind of came through for the Hawks I know there have been you know so many through so many of the cup runs but is there anyone that kind of stands out for you as a you know particularly impactful you know player that came up through the Hawks system you know with your career experiences yeah well you're you're being very generous but let's 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 be fair there's a lot of players that didn't develop too fair. right yeah and that's okay and we have to own that and and acknowledge that so Player development, what you do is you you hope to give the athletes the toolbox. Here's the tools. Here's the toolbox. But ultimately, it you know, at the end of the day, uh, again, this is one of those secrets or things that they don't want you to know. It really does just come down to is the player going to do these things to get better? How bad does the player want it? Is the player dialed in mentally? Are they living right off the ice? Are they committed on the ice? Are they committed in the gym? We can give you all these tools or help show you this plan or break down your play and break down your film, unless you're willing to put the work in, um, doesn't, doesn't always happen. So you were very generous with the number of players <laughs> that did hit. You could probably, you could go back and look at it at, at an equal amount or more of players that don't work out. And, and that's okay. That's the industry we're in. But our thing was let's eliminate as many excuses as possible. Let's give the athletes as many resources as possible. So if Ian doesn't pan out, if Ryan doesn't pan out, we can say we could we could sleep a night and say, yeah, but we really did give them everything we could give them. Right. So that's kind of what the business you're in. Um, you picked on some good names there. I, I you know, um, Andrew Shaw is, is a yeah. personal favorite, I think, comes to mind as a guy who was passed through two drafts. Brandon Saad, when you think about a second round pick. Right. You, you, you picked on some good names there. Incidentally, whether it's Saad or, or, or Shaw. 
a lot of times those guys don't spend a lot of time in the development pipeline. They get in and they get out. They're in Rockford for just a minute and out they go, or they go right to the pros. So I, I like those players or, you know, the, the, the true development success stories sometimes are those players that they go to the USHL for a year. Then they go to four years of college or three years of college. Then they go to Rockford. Those, those are sort of more fun development stories because you feel like you have a, a longer touch point. And then you're going to ask me, well, who comes to mind? I don't have one, right? <laughs> I, like you got me, you get you on the spot, but like, those are kind of the, the real player development success stories or those ones that you, you were with longer and kind of investing more time in. Yeah, I, I'm glad you hear that. I know, obviously, this is since you've left the Hawks, but I feel like David Gust is, I guess, a name that comes to mind for this year's Hawks team, a 29-year-old rookie who kind of had that, you know, unconventional pass. So um, it, it's really glad to hear you mention that name as much as uh, Brandon Saad, who's this impact rookie, you know, making plays in the Stanley Cup playoffs and, and helping the team win some Stanley Cups. So um, just wanted to pick your brain on that and thought you brought up some some really good points as well. So appreciate you doing that side of it, Ian. So I guess transitioning, you know, to, just to kind of tie up everything with the Blackhawks, you know, uh, of course course after the 2015 Stanley Cup you know there were certainly you know a little bit tougher times for the organization like what was kind of that transition period for you like you know stepping away from the Blackhawks after being there you know so long in your career yeah it was a transition for the team on the ice off the ice obviously it was you know all good things must come to an end and and that run certainly did I think the the rebuild you if you would call it that that you see them in now um probably was born of in those early in those those post cup years and that's okay these things are cyclical that happens um for me uh quite a career change i had an opportunity in the olympic space um with football usa football of all things so you talk about uh, a new challenge and something different and, and unexpected um there, I was hired to write the organization's initial high performance plan as they were seeking to get in the Olympics. So a really cool challenge there. Um, I had a young family. My I had both my boys were born now. I didn't have to pick up and move. Remote work was really appealing. So here I had this opportunity to do something completely different, get in the Olympic space, write a high performance plan, oversee our national teams, oversee our scouts and our coaches. That was a really unique and different opportunity. And now we sit here and it's August and 23 and unofficially we're hearing really good things like they are going to get in the Olympics. So you feel proud about that because you, you were, you were invested in helping lay that foundation. And, and yes, I was coming from a different sport, a different industry, but there's so many universal elements of just developing athletes and high performance and building high performance programs that are really are universal, irrespective of sport, right? So that was a really unique opportunity. So um, as my management group with the Blackhawks moved on, as I moved on, that was a completely different departure for me, something I never expected. Um, I was there 15 months, really enjoyed it. Um, but hockey, of course, the passion, hockey is where I've made my living. And, and when I had the opportunity to come back to hockey, come back to a league that I know very well uh, in a role that I felt I had a chance to really make a, a nice impact and get involved. Like, as we talked about with see the business side more than I ever have before. Yes. The hockey side, but also see the business side round my round, round my resume out as a professional give back to a league that I care about. So 15 months in a different sport and then right back into hockey. And that's, that's where I'm at now. So it's I've been here since April 
Uh, it's actually hard to believe. Uh, it's gone pretty fast, and now we're we're nearly in September. But that's that's what happened after the the Hawk Run. So it was a great run. Uh, and as these things go, all good things must come to an end, right? And and that certainly did. So yeah, no doubt. And that's kind of a perfect transition for us to kind of dive in a little bit deeper into your experience now with the USHL. And it was all stuff you kind of previously touched on and some of those differences working on the team side versus the link side, but kind of the area I was most curious in when you talked about that, Ian, is working individually with each team, working with the GMs, taking site visits. What is some of your travel like and your communication like with, you know, all the different teams that are in the USHL, uh, knowing that, you know, you, one day you could be in Nebraska, the other day you could be in Ohio, you you know, what, what is kind of all the different uh, components as it comes to, you know, making those touch points with each individual team while working yeah. for the USHL? Yeah, a great question. And you hit on it. it. That's a big difference. When you're working with one team, that's all, that's your world. All you care about is this one team, right? right? And now you're, you're representing a league. I have 16 teams and 16 stakeholders that I have to, to, to communicate with. And for the first time in my career, 15 year career, whatever it's been now, I don't care who wins. And that's different too. Like my whole career, you're invested in wins and losses. Um, certainly with the Blackhawks and but but USA football, we were fielding national teams. We we had to go out and win um tournaments and win championships, and we did that. And now, literally for the first time in my career, I don't care who wins. So that's been weird. That's been a a, a transition. But you know, your question is a good one. Um, I caught on at the tail end of the regular season in the playoffs last year. And I'm really happy I did because I got out for the Clark Cup finals. I got out for our playoffs. I was in buildings, meeting hockey people, meeting coaches, meeting GMs, sitting in meetings um, because that offseason came up before we knew it. And now I'm leading these meetings and leading these groups and bringing these people together. So it's 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 relationships, right? It's meeting uh, each one of these teams and, and and the GMs and the coaches there and their hockey staff, their presidents on the business side, which I've really come to enjoy, their owners. So you meet a ton of people, um, which is really fun. And and the networking and, and the relationship building is is great. Getting into each building has been fun, seeing how they do it here versus how they do it there. Um, but when you're on the league side, you kind of have this unique view behind the curtain where you get to also compare how teams do it. And maybe that team does something really well. Maybe that team does something really well. And how can we all help each other? Yes. Or how will you take these lessons with you later in life and what, what certain teams or certain individuals did? So it's been really fun. It's different. Like, so in the NHL, you, you work for one team, you work in one lane. Uh, and, and it's a specialization when it comes to junior hockey, when it comes to the Olympic space, you wear a lot of hats and that was a really fun challenge too. So I, I wore one particular hat for so long and operated in one lane that I've really enjoyed this thing of wearing a lot of hats and meeting a lot of people and these different stakeholders, you know, my, an average day for me now, I could talk to the GM of Waterloo, the owner of Lincoln um, the NHL and Bauer in the same day within the same two hours. Right. Yeah. And, and you're just ping ponging back and forth, depending on the conversation. Some people enjoy that. Um, and some people don't, some people really like having one particular lane. I've actually come to enjoy this now where I could be talking about rules and regulations with our head of officials. My next call is with CCM negotiating a deal the next call is with the GM who is furious about something that happened the night before. So your days are pretty fun and challenging that way too. 
Yeah, it, it definitely puts things into perspective too, Ian, in terms of like, is this something I would want to get into? But once you are kind of understanding and getting the flow for things a little bit better, it definitely can be rewarding too. And kind of last piece of that, which you already really kind of hit on a little bit too, is kind of the nature of like always being on and always being available. I think especially when it comes to things like transactions and questions about rules and regulations, you know, you could get this question at any time. And like you said, now working for a league, you could have 16 teams that have the opportunity to hit you up versus just, you know, one or two uh, people in your organization. So, you know, talk about what your schedule is like, like the everyday nature of it, like always being available. Like, what is it like that, um, you know, to live that world, you know, day in and day out? Uh, what is that like for you? How would you kind of explain it? Yeah. So different than the Blackhawks, the Blackhawks was, I drove to the United Center every day, um, in season, off season, you're locked and loaded. We wore shirt and tie every single day. Yep. So the world has changed. My role has changed. Um, we work remotely, which is which is very nice, but there's site visits, there's tournaments, there's travel, there's games, there's meetings, there's the draft. So you still travel plenty, but it's an enjoyable kind of travel. It's not that hard scouting grind that scouts live. It's sure. not commuting to the office every day. It's actually been a really nice kind of sweet spot for me. So my day, and, and you know, as any sport fan would know or aspiring sport professional would know, it's very cyclical. There's an in-season mode and there's an off-season mode. Um, the off-season mode, uh, you're at your computer and you're in the off-season, you're able to think about those strategic planning initiatives, broader thinking, league-wide initiatives. We just made a bunch of hires. So overseeing all these hires, getting our committees up and running, licensees, vendors. So taking that on in the summer has been has been really helpful um because once the puck drops and you know this ryan you live this life once the season starts that's a whole different animal yeah that's there's games there's wins there's losses there's good calls there's bad calls there's goals there's roster transactions so me coming on as a, as a brand new vice president glenn heffron our new commissioner who's been wonderful let's make as much hay while we can while the sun's shining in the off season because we know that once the puck drops, that's a different animal. That's read and react. You're much more reactionary surviving a season versus being proactive and planning. You always try to be, but it, it doesn't, it's not as easy, right? So I'd say that's the biggest difference. And and yeah, I mean, I joke about it, but it is true. My days are pretty funny because it could be a GM, then an owner, then a president of business operations, then a vendor, then USA Hockey then the NHL, then booking a flight for a, yeah. so as I said, it's such a departure from what I did with the Blackhawks, but really welcomed change, something I've actually come to really enjoy. It makes the days go fast. Um, and if you're wired for it, and if you enjoy that kind of bouncing around thing, uh, now I can't imagine anything else, right? Like you end up really liking it. So I hope that answers the question, but you know, totally. it changes, it changes in season, off season to change, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I thought you put that really well by saying it's kind of reactionary in season and you try to do your best to plan it, but you know, Hey, I think part of it too, like I was talking about with kind of being available is like the quicker you're able to kind of respond to these things and you're not the one kind of holding up the operation, so to speak. Like sometimes you need to be sending out messages at night or on the weekends or things of that nature, just to ensure that you're all good for, you know, the upcoming Friday game or something. Yeah. There's no, there's no such thing as a 40 hour week in the season. You know yeah. that it's late nights, it's early mornings. It's, 
that phone needs to be on you at any time because some the the it could hit the fan at any moment and right. and you have to be ready. I think you you I think you put that nicely and you try to get out in front of things. It, it's you know it doesn't always happen that way. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. All right. Uh, on that note, I just had one kind of final question on some of your career experiences, Ian, and that relates to your time uh, with West Virginia University. I know you were able to uh, teach a couple of graduate courses and um, get a master's degree. And I think it even kind of ties in earlier when you said, oh, initially plan, get a law degree, you know, move on. I think there may be a lot of people that are in that frame where, you know, they're kind of nearing the end of their undergraduate experience, not sure necessarily if they want to approach grad school. Obviously, you know, you took a little bit of time off before that happened, but um, talk just through just a little bit about what kind of that decision-making process and experience was like for you uh, with West Virginia? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. So I give two pieces of advice when, when people ask me about the sports industry, when people say they want to work in the sports industry, there's, there's two pieces of advice that are my go-tos, right? The first is be prepared to take any job anywhere. If that means you're the mascot assistant in Fairbanks, so be it. Um, what you're going to find is that if you get in the industry, once you start gaining that professional experience, it's far more easy to navigate and get to the places where you want to get to. So even if you start on the business side, but you want to be in operations or you start in a, a junior team in a city you've never even heard of, those are the kinds of things that you have to do to work in sports, earn your stripes, network, work like crazy grow your resume. I was probably the 0.01% where I started in the NHL in my hometown. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. Like get that out of your head right away. <laughs> like I was incredibly fortunate for that to happen. Normally the normal course of action is you do start in junior leagues. You do start in minor leagues. You are moving, you're moving often, you're growing, you're networking. So be prepared to take any job anywhere. The next piece of advice is, okay, so you want to work in sports. Why does sports want you? Okay. So it's a supply and demand thing. These jobs are very little in supply, but everyone wants to work in sports. Okay. So what is it about you that's going to make yourself stand out amongst the rest and amongst the pack? Um, why? Why should I care? Do, do you have a graduate degree? Do you have some awesome professional work experience? Do you have some great life experience or volunteer experience or internships? What is it that's going to make you stand out amongst the pack? For me, when I was mapping this out as an undergrad, it was law school. There's a lot of lawyers in sports too, but I thought that that law degree could have been my my differentiator that was going to be my angle or my niche to break in the industry. Um, and if it didn't work, well, you're as a lawyer. You could fall back on real estate law, uh, litigation, uh, in a, you know, patent law. Right. So that was kind of my plan where if I'm going to give it all I got in sports, but what if this doesn't happen? Well, you're falling back on it's your union card, essentially. Right. Turns out life had something different in mind for me, but I never lost that passion for for academia. And I never lost that passion for personal growth. So 10 years after my undergrad, I went back and got my master's. Um, we didn't have kids yet. I had the NHL schedule in life down pretty, pretty well down. 
I knew with the kind of hours I had in my day and I felt like I could squeeze this in. Um, and I'm really happy I did um, because it opens up so many doors for you on the collegiate side of sport, on the professional side of sport, you learn best practices and you learn what the industry is doing. So, so for me, it was, yeah, a loss, a law degree was probably unattainable on an NHL schedule that that wasn't going to happen, but I thought that I could shoehorn in a, a graduate degree um, online, which I did. And I loved it. And my experience was so positive at West Virginia that they asked me to come back as an adjunct where I've taught uh, five or six classes, different courses. Now I've developed two courses for them and, and I love giving back. So for me, my, my life, I always knew I was going to spend my life in either sport or the academic field, right? Those were just my passions in life. So here I am and I'm really sort of blessed that at this stage of my life, I make my living in sport, but I give back to the academic side and I get to scratch that academic itch, work with students, work in higher education. It's kind of been like, uh, you know, the best of both worlds and really fortunate, really blessed to, to, to do both. So um, that's how I got there. I'm still doing it. I still enjoy it. And uh, our graduate students are really impressive people who who have that same mindset. They've all identified, well, we feel like this will make us a better professional. Let's get this graduate degree. And I, anytime you do that, I think that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, no doubt. I'm glad you touched on both of those pieces of advice. And uh, especially that first piece, I know I feel like I kind of lived that my first year after graduating undergrad, I lived in five different states, worked four different jobs, two of them were unpaid. So uh, I definitely know the the grind that, uh, you know, it would have been nice to just work for the Hawks right away like you did. But you know, that's not always how things kind of play out. So uh, being able to make those adjustments is, is really important. So I uh, loved hearing that from you. All right. So we've reached basically the end of the podcast, Ian, we end off our podcast with what we call our flash from Friday segment. So we like to give our listeners a little bit better insight into your personality away from the hockey rink uh, and put you on the hot seat. So uh, does that sound good to you? Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Yeah. All right, let's do it. First question, got to ask home run anytime someone has an affiliation to Chicago, your favorite deep dish pizza spot. What do you got? Okay, so I'm going to answer it because you asked it. But you know, as a Chicagoan, that Chicagoans don't eat deep dish. We eat it maybe twice a year. It's right. Okay? It's right. What what we eat is Chicago thin crust tavern style pizza. That's what we eat. That's what we love. Uh, for me in my neighborhood, that's Moretti's or Dino's. Okay. My deep dish, because you asked it, would be Lou Melati's. Okay. That's a W answer. And you're so, so, so spot on. Anytime my yeah. family's getting together for Thanksgiving or Christmas time, you know, it's Lumilati's. That's what we're ordering, but yeah. it's like, it's a, it's a big occasion. You know, we're getting all the cousins right. out there for Lumilati's. So I uh, love that answer. And then last one for you for flash Friday, uh, just give me your favorite travel destination. Could either be a place that you've been many times in the past or a place that is high on your list for where you'd like to go. So work brought me to Stockholm, Sweden, which was uh, amazing. Um, wonderful. I love Europe. Stockholm was one of my favorite, if not my favorite European city I've ever been to. Um, we were there at the time of year. It was a really awesome time of year too, with light jackets and stuff, right? So Stockholm was awesome. Um, Chicagoan, born and raised, fourth generation. My wife is from Nova Scotia. She's from the eastern shore of Nova Scotia, outside of Halifax. She grew up playing against Sidney Crosby. Um, so now I spend summers and I have in-laws and I've really come to love Nova Scotia and the Maritimes and the ocean. 
So if I'm not in Chicago, uh, the Maritimes in Nova Scotia are a pretty special place for me. Yeah, love uh, love those answers. I appreciate you sharing that uh, for everybody, Ian. And just before we wrap up, was there be any way that our listeners could be able to reach out to you if they had any questions or wanted to get in contact with anything uh, that you may have said today, Ian? What would you recommend for for any of our listeners that may want to get in contact? Sure. Yeah. So I I don't have social media, but I but I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, so that's that's the one that I'm on. Ian Gentile, you'll find me there. Um, I I'm the vice president of hockey operations at the USHL. Uh, we're very reachable at the USHL too, but, you know, as an adjunct uh, instructor, as just someone who loves the industry and loves young aspiring professionals. Yeah. LinkedIn, if the, if there's anything I could ever do to help people, um, that's probably the best way to get me. Perfect. I will throw Ian's LinkedIn in the description of this podcast for everybody uh, to be able to reach out to him on there as well. Thank you guys all so much for listening to this edition of Front Office You Friday. Thanks again to Ian for coming on the podcast. And we'll be back again next week with another Front Office You Friday. Take care, everybody.